and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. Nam Daniel. Hey, everybody, it's an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy comics, and every week we interact with our awesome listeners. Here's Danielle to tell you all about it. No, Matt Strackbine's going to tell you all about it. Oh, you want to hear a podcast? I got a podcast for you right here. It's called the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Where do you find it? On the internet, wise guy. Where do you think you find it? <laughs> Tune in, turn it on, turn it up, listen all the time. It's a fantastic podcast. Back to you, John. Listen all the time. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Matt. That was a good one. Hey, hey it's Matt Strickman. Matt Strickman. Yeah. Book club member. That's right. Yeah, and sometimes co-host an awesome guy all around. That's true. And I'm sitting there staring at his artwork right now. I know, we're looking at it. It's right here. <laughs> yeah, Aubrey's in the house today. Aubrey's we got right Aubrey here. in the podcast studio. All of Thank us are so vaccinated. Much. All of us, all three of us are fully vaccinated and have been for a while, so we're not being we're not being irresponsible. There you go. So it's fine. Yeah, it's so great to all be together again for this episode. I got some shouts outs for this shouts week. Shouts outs. Shouts out. All right. Yeah, I want to shout out to Craig Rousseau. Hey, it's Craig Rousseau. Book club member. Yeah, yeah uh, Craig Rousseau, uh, an awesome artist. He's the artist for the Young Hellboy series, and I was able to snag this Lobster Johnson head sketch. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Him. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. the one that I framed over here. So I posted that on our yeah, social yeah. media. I was so glad to get that. He's got some other it's a really good um, piece. pieces really up like on his website. They're pretty reasonably priced. I got that sketch, that head sketch for 50 bucks. Really good. Oh, nice. So that was really cool. I was glad uh, I was able to jump on that. And then some of his pages have gone up also for Young Hellboy, so you can check that out too. I also want to shout out Ratchet Book Club. Ratchet Book Club. Book Club members? Are they? <laughs> book, book Club friends. Yeah. yeah. They shouted us out oh, for Follow they? Friday. Oh, fun. Oh, um, nice. So yeah, I wanted to return the favor. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read good classics and hood classics alike. Excellent. Hosted by Rashani. So check them out on Twitter. That sounds great, and I yeah. will be checking them out. That's excellent. Awesome. So sis- sister book club. Yeah, it was um, it was a follow Friday, and it was all comic book, book, literary related. And it was like a five Twitter posts worth of ats oh nice of all these different podcasts and so it was really cool i went in there and followed a bunch of them that i wasn't fo- a bunch of them i was following already so i'm um, really cool that they did that thanks for including us awesome a bunch of posts in a row is called a thread <laughs> <laughs> just in case you know that. <laughs> we'll get, uh, we'll get letters. thank yeah. you for that i also want to shout out andrew craddock hey andrew craddock book club member mm-hmm. yeah he shared on our facebook page an Inktober drawing. Oh, okay. Well, mm, mm, well. Inktober. Inktober sucks. That guy sucks. But drawing things is you're... fun and good. Yeah. Drawing things with ink is fun and good. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He said, uh, "I thought I'd switch it up. Abe can't be the only one with a sweater phase." And he drew Hellboy in a sweater. <laughs> that's great. Oh, I got to yeah. see that. Where can I? Where can I look at that? Yeah, check it out on our Facebook page. I actually just shared it today. Oh, fun. Okay. So yeah, thank you so much, Andrew, for that awesome artwork. By the way, this Hellboy sketch with the sweater is great. I love it. Hellboy looks like he's reluctantly going to like an ugly sweater party. Or really like, good. Or like uh, Professor Broom was like, you be nice. You wear that sweater. Somebody <laughs> knitted that for you. They spent a long time on it. You put it on. It's probably the professor who knitted yeah. it. <laughs> I got a shout out to Craig McKnight. Hey, Craig McKnight. Book club member. You're actually wearing the, the muffin, muffin but man. good vibes. The muffin I'm man, wearing right. my muffin but good vibes shirt today. I'm feeling very hyped for Craig and all that he's doing right now. Excellent. You know, Craig collaborated with 
a local reggae band that he's fans of called Snug It Loose. Okay. And to create a song called Muffin But Good Vibes. Uh, that's great. Awesome. Okay. That's fun. And so there this song just came out today. Oh, man. It's muffin but good vibes. All the time. All the proceeds go to the Noel Family Foundation. You know, Craig is always doing something yes. yeah. uh, to benefit somebody else. So um, the funds are being used to open Bradley's House, a six-bed recovery facility that will provide treatment for people in the music industry who are seeking drug recovery regardless of their financial situation. That's great. That's excellent. And um, so I went – and he also did like a raffle on the Mike Manila's art page for people who pre-ordered it. So – and he had like prizes and all this kind of stuff. It was like, God, how does he this do this? Is, you know yeah. what I mean? So then the song came out today, and it is number 10 on iTunes for the top reggae songs. Wow. Muffin But Good Vibes is, is, the, awesome. That's great. is in the top 10 reggae songs on iTunes today. That is incredible. Jeez. So yeah, I had to awesome. put on my shirt today and promote Craig. So that is awesome. I also wanted to shout out to our Insta followers. Today we hit 4,000. Okay, so that was nice. pretty nice. Was yeah. Thank you, everybody, for all your support. Right on. Thank you. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Got a Hey You Damn Guys from Andrew Adair. Andrew Adair. Book club member. That's right. Andrew Adair says, thanks so much for adding me to the link tree. My songs sound so much better when you guys are talking over them. (laughs) That's pretty (laughs) good. your Your songs are great. I love the film episode. One thing I was thinking is that there was pressure from the studios to make a Men in Black type of hit movie. Okay. Um, I think that played into the secrecy of the BPRD and the new guy trope where Myers is the version of Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing, though. That's more of like a buddy cop thing, right? Right, Where like there's always a cop that just joined the force and then he's he's paired up with the, the cranky like veteran and that's kind yeah. of that's the trope like because that's that's still interesting to me yeah right i feel like this is a different trope the new guy trope in the new strange world of i don't know how any of this works i'm just well, that a dumb is what idiot. they kind of did with will smith because he wasn't he didn't know about aliens or any of that stuff but remember? his whole care but his character was the star of the movie it was engaging sure yeah. okay myers is just like we gotta have we gotta <laughs> stick this guy in here because audience members are dumb we have to explain literally every single step of the plot to them and it's like, I, I feel like that's slightly different. Anyway, back to what Andrew Adair is talking about. Sucks that even Del Toro probably has to give the studio some concessions. It's so funny how much you guys hated Myers. Guess we can't look forward to Rupert Evans' interview show. Now, hold on. <laughs> hold on. I, I said I didn't like the concept of that character. I I didn't say that I didn't like Rupert Evans. Rupert Evans is great, yeah, of yeah. course. I, I'm not saying... He did... The best job he could with a role that was made to annoy me specifically. So <laughs> it's not his fault that they that the studio wrote that dumb yeah. character. Yeah. Uh, Rupert Evans is great. As far as movie Abe goes, I think you can be flibberty jibberty and badass. Ah. Okay. okay. That's cool. That's right kind on. of how I am. Yes, <laughs> I agree. You're very. You you use a very animated affect when you're walking around you your hands are very flowy your discussion of the mcu changes reminded me of one of the things that really made me walk away from comics originally writers are very rarely allowed to make substantial changes in major characters 
that can't be reversed. We have talked about this before. Yeah. yeah. The thing that kept me coming back to the Mignolaverse stuff is that there are real developments and characters that are permanent and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Keep up the good work, Andrew Adair. That's what makes it so there special, There are consequences. Right? Things matter. Yeah. You know, characters grow and change and develop, and they're not constantly, like, back to... Right, right. You know, you reset them, and there's nothing ever happens. Touching on an earlier comment that he said, I, I do wonder how much uh, studio... I don't want to say interference. I want to say like studio notes that they gave Del Toro for stuff like maybe maybe the Myers character and uh, maybe the whole thing with like the secret identity because you know that's how they wanted superhero films back in the yeah, in the early aughts. So. so I'd just be kind of curious. I mean, because it feels like the last movie got so many damn notes, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> jeez, yeah that 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 movie was a camel. You know, I don't want to I don't want to get into um, talking about the new movie too much, but. You know, there was a recent interview with Neil Marshall, the director, and he's kind of for the first time talked about it. And he basically said, like, he was in a box. Damn. And he was like, I don't know why I decided to take this job because they didn't let me do anything that I wanted to do. And I feel like we could tell. I feel like we knew that already. The the movie was already kind of made before I even got in there. And I didn't really have a lot of say in what. Well, it comes you know, through 100%. And it was more about, like, the money, yeah. you know, what yeah. I mean, and the job Absolutely. of, hey, I get to do Hellboy, and it, and it was less about, like, his his own creative. So, anyway, it's it's interesting. Um, if you check out that interview, um, you can Google it. Neil Marshall, he's, <laughs> he, he just, it, it's, a, it's the first time in a while that yeah. he's talked about it. So, I think it was on bloodydisgusting.com. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strackbine. Matt oh, Matt Mine. We were just talking about him earlier. That's right. Uh, He's a book club member, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Book club member. <laughs> <laughs> he says, hey, you damn guys. On behalf of the Milagro creative team, we really appreciate the shouts out. <laughs> As a thanks, I'm attaching a preview for a couple of art print rewards I made what? for the upcoming Kickstarter. Feel free to share these on your uh, Facebook page if you Whoa. want to. But either way, thanks again. We really do appreciate the support. Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. I will definitely be sharing those on our social media. That's There's some excellent. really cool looking stuff. I'm excited. I'm grateful to have such an amazing creative outlet and to be working with such hardworking creatives. But it's this time of year that always gets me down. In Colorado, winter lingers until June. And for me personally, this is when seasonal depression sets in. I hate not being able to go outside for an actual spring day or when every weekend is ruined by snow and rain on top of that we may or may not be on the cusp of this pandemic ending and what does that even mean as far as seeing people in person again yeah. so i guess i'm grumpier than normal <laughs> Aww. Aww. well that that seasonal affective disorder is real you know yeah. and so yeah. that's thanks for talking about it openly and we hope that all our listeners feel like there's someone they can talk to about that if they need to. That's important to be able to do that. Talk to your friends about that. Yeah, yeah. and reach out to us too. Reach out. Yeah. Send, send us a message about it. We can, you know, we can talk about this. We'll talk to you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I was listening to your newest episode this morning and it struck me that I should go back and listen to older episodes too. I spent the day burning through the outtakes and bloopers and then listened to the episode where Mark and I were both on and the debriefing. It really raised my spirits to be hanging out with my friends again, if only virtually, because I can remember being there for real, even though I actually wasn't there. (laughs) But you know what I mean. Everyone in the book club means so much to me and I just wanted to let you know that maybe it was the comics that brought us together, then the podcast introduced us to each other, 
and now it's just good old friendship. That's right. Friendship. Oh, that was awesome. Well, call us, man. We haven't heard from you in a while. Give us a call, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're going to have Matt on soon for sure. Oh, fun. uh, Because we're going to be talking about his awesome project with Ross. Oh, So, yeah, yeah, be tuned for it. Yeah, stay tuned for that. We're going to have to cut like two hours out of that. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It'll just be two hours of bullshitting and then like 30 minutes worth of That'll be a huge outtakes episode after that that one. (laughs) It'll be like three times the size of the actual episode. (laughs) Oh, that'd be hilarious. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so great to hear from you, Matt. And I'm so excited for your project. So, yeah, check out our social media. Follow us and I'll share those exclusive images. And uh, if you're on Twitter, follow them on Twitter. Oh, yeah, do that. At Comic Milagro. They're putting out stuff like almost every day. So it's it's pretty awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ross shared something today. He just said... This is going to be a weird, really weird book. Oh, man. And it was like a luchador bondage or whatever. Like okay. it was like a luchador with like a zipper, a zipper oh, wow. mouth or something like that. It looked really cool. Anyway, it was fun. Uh, we had some more feedback on the movie. Okay. Uh, oh. Everyone's talking about the movie. So <laughs> that's great. Um, we heard from Mark Tweedell. Oh, Mark Tweedell. Book club member. Yeah. He said, whoa, listener feedback from Danielle. <laughs> <laughs> He said, I fucking hate Myers. Cheers. <laughs> Drinks shot. Absolutely. Regarding the Liz Hellboy relationship, he said, yet another platonic relationship is erased by a romantic one. Yeah. I'll always yeah. lament that because deep platonic relationships that matter more than romantic ones are rare. The Liz Hellboy thing feels a bit like, well, there's only one woman in the good guy's side. I guess she has to hook up with the male lead. Yeah. I mean, even all the bureau agents are men. It's a very dated Hollywood thing to do. That said, Del Toro took something that likely came from a cynical studio note and made it something special. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. you know, it is. It's true. Like, why can't you know? People are people are mostly friends. I feel like in my life, at least, and I feel lucky that I'm surrounded by people who consider that to be super normal and great, actually. And I, but I do know that there exists out there. You know, people who believe that that cannot be a thing. Right, right. In real life, not just like movies. Like, people think this way, and it's scary to think about. So, I do feel very grateful that I'm surrounded by people who are like, no, deep friendships are excellent. Why not? Who gives a shit what gender you are or are not? It's fine. We also heard from HB Samaritan 44. Okay, HB Samaritan 44. (laughs) Book club member. Mm -hmm. He said, great job on the podcast. I really enjoyed the fun banter on your commentary and going into details on the special features. Just me yelling about stuff. And comic comparisons. (laughs) That I don't like. So, yeah, thank you for that. I hope we did a good job with the commentary. We also heard from Christopher Egan. Hey, Christopher Egan. Book club member. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, I wish I'd gotten some more comments in here, but I've been crazy busy. I still love this movie, but some things do stick out a bit more since getting into the books after it all came out. Number one, I don't mind John Myers as a character, but I do also hate why his character exists. Yes, thank you. Yes. Number two, when Clay dies, that really bums me out. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that. It is. But we also talked about you got to have someone that you care about but doesn't matter too much to the overall story. So it had had to be him. Number three, the Cronin autopsy scene creeped out 17-year-old me in the theater. I still like it a lot. Not as scary, but still quite spooky. Yeah, that is a relief. The way it was yeah. filmed makes it spookier. Well, and when he's passing through see. those partitions yeah. and you can't... Yeah. I hate it. And then he mm-hmm. steps on the thing. And it, uh. Anyway. Number four, John Hurt for the win. Oh, yeah. yeah. Definitely. Rest in peace, John oh, Hurt, yeah. Professor Broom. Number five, I will forever be grateful to this movie for giving me the push to get into this universe. Hmm. Yeah. So, a lot I mean, of people, I, yeah. I, feel like I yeah. think a lot of people, good. it was a big stepping off point. 
Um, I totally forgot this. I have Nellie Bly's book in my audiobook queue. It's only three hours long, ten days in a madhouse. I oh, heard wow. it's excellent and upsetting. Oh, we talked about Nellie Bly a little yeah, bit, yeah. how they base the Sarah Jewell character on her mm-hmm. in that Witchfinder story. So, yeah, I have to check that out. I, I would be interested in, um, you know, I don't know. In being upset. <laughs> For only three hours, sure. though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We also heard from Anung117. Anung117. Book club member. Yes. I love the movie for what it is. A nice alternative look at the comic. My favorite thing to come from the movie is an excerpt from the diary of Grigory Rasputin by Mike Mignola that was released with one of the DVD sets. That oh, little okay. book, um, oh. do we we didn't talk about that. Right, I'm so glad that he brought that, that up. If you bought the director's cut on the DVD version, it came with like a three DVD set. And it has this little book, and it's just all these cool illustrations by Mignola. Oh, wow. From the the movie and all the imagery there. Like, a lot of the sigils that you see in there is all um, in that book. I'll have to show you that before you leave. Okay. We heard from Hellboy's Lady. (laughs) Hellboy's Lady. Book club member. Book club member. Yeah, she said, uh, regarding the Hellboy-Liz relationship, he could have showed that he loved her, but she just wanted to stay friends and leave it at that. And who knows, maybe he could have found someone later down the road, but Hellboy would not truly be with a human like Anastasia. Even they parted ways and just remained friends. I also don't like how they made him this young adult type when Hellboy is more mature and wiser than they put him. But you know Del Toro, he likes to change stuff to his liking. Well, you know, maybe he thought it would be funnier and more engaging if he was like a goofball. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. And, and I kind of felt like that, too. Like, I think I talked about this in the commentary when he's, like, freaking out because she took his picture. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see what they're doing. <laughs> right. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm settling into this, you know. So, Merc Collector said. Merc Collector. Book club member. Book club member. I was fine with the change. Didn't really change how I feel about the characters. Like, every comic interpretation, I just see it as another version and a different take. And, of course, a different universe. Yeah, it's like alternate universe type yeah. shit. Yeah, just like that's my into the Hellboy verse, right? You've got right, all the different right. Hellboys. Yeah. That yeah. would be cool. It's fan fiction. <laughs> it's very expensive fan fiction. Very pretty fan fiction. Yeah. When I posted the corpse comparison, I posted a picture of the corpse and then the yeah. version from mm-hmm. both. Letters and Numbers said... Letters and Numbers. Book Club member. Yeah, I like Letters that. I like and that Numbers one. is a classic. I yeah, like that one. That's an OG Book Club member. That's good. He said, I love seeing Hellboy use his charms and talismans on the big screen. Yeah, yeah it was cool yeah, how many of those true. little things they incorporated. Yeah. You know, when you really think about it, a lot of the elements from the comic were brought to life. Finally, we heard from Paul Eek. Paul Eek. Book Club member. Yes. Yeah, Paul Eek is bringing back a podcast classic. All right. Yes, that's right. It's the return of Bean Talk Bean with Talk. Aubrey and the Gang. Oh, <laughs> I know where this is going. Bean Talk. Bean Talk. All right. Paul said, I still haven't quite caught up on the podcast, so I don't know if the Beans on Toast stuff got brought up again. No. But I just saw this and thought of you damn guys. And he posted a video of Patrick Stewart eating beans on toast. All right. Oh my he, god, it's so good. And he talks about how it's the only thing he knows how to make, and he's been eating it since he was a little kid. How oh, that's the only thing you know how to make? Because you know, you, if if you can make toast and put things on toast, <laughs> then you can put other things on toast as well. So you oh, can make other things. This is you Sir should, Patrick Stewart we're talking about. You should watch him do it too, because he like takes a bite and then he like goes. Like, wow. <laughs> he okay. is so excited to be eating the fucking beans on toast. Jeez. <laughs> The only dish I can make, and I ate it probably thousands of times all the way through my childhood, 
beans on toast. Anyway, thank you, Paul, for that. All um, right. Yeah, I actually saw that because I follow him on uh, Instagram, and I was about to send it to you, but I was like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> so you already knew what he was talking oh, about. Man. This is great. Oh, awesome. Anyway, thanks for sharing that. And I just prefer a bowl of beans and rice to beans being on bread. But if you grew up eating it. Yeah, if you grew up, that's the thing. Yeah, you have to. Right. I guess if you grew up eating that, and that's your go-to snack. Yeah, like my side grew up eating beans with the rice, so that's probably why. I just feel like it's better though, because like, wouldn't the bread get soggy? I'm still on that. Like, I'm back to that. Wouldn't it get soggy? And I don't want to eat soggy bread. Doesn't bother. Bean talk is back, it's baby. Not good. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it would be good. Because you know, like, I, you know, like when they give you a piece of bread with barbecue, and then after no, gross, soggy. I'm like use the bread to wipe up all the rest of the barbecue Yeah, but sauce. haven't the beans been sitting on the toast the whole time? Oh, yeah. I don't like it. No. It just turns into a soggy mess, doesn't it? I guess it depends on how fast you eat it. There yeah, you go. that's true, probably, yeah. <laughs> all right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week we're talking about Hellboy and the BPRD 1955. The first story that we're going to be discussing is Secret Nature. This is a one-shot that was published in August 2017, Written by Mignola and Chris Robertson. Illustrated by Sean Martinborough. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. Sean Martinborough, I did want to talk about him a little bit. He's an American comic artist known for his longtime run on Robert Kirkman's Thief of Thieves. Martinborough is known for his film noir-influenced style. He's also worked on Static, Detective Comics, Luke Cage, and Black Panther. Ooh, I've never, I haven't read that Kirkman one, but I do like Kirkman, so. Yeah, yeah. I do want to talk about the cover here that he has for this issue. And it does have kind of like that film noir style, you know what I mean? You can kind of like already see. Um, I love his version of Hellboy. I just want to say like right off the bat. Like, oh, yeah. I do love the way that he does the the shadows on his face and stuff like that and a really cool cover we open in sutherland oregon in march of 1955 this is a city in douglas county oregon sutherland and we see hellboy and woodrow farrier i don't know if you recall hellboy and the bprd black sun you might not because it's been almost a year since we read that story back on episode 97 from june 2020 that was the one where Hellboy found a crashed UFO, but it was really Nazis doing evil stuff. Matt always talks oh, about yeah. how one story makes you want to read another story, so I definitely went back and read some of that stuff from the 1950s. Anyway, that story is the first appearance of this character. He's a cryptozoologist. And I like seeing this character again. Hellboy and Farrier meet with a farmer. He sighted some sort of beast. It's been making the rounds, killing other farmers' herd. And Hellboy wonders if it could be a coyote. Hell no, what I saw weren't no coyote. (laughs) (laughs) I love how he's scratching himself with the right hand of doom. I love the expressions. Like, even on that other panel, how he's kind of, like, talking out of the side of his mouth or something. It's very Ninja Turtles. I love that. I love the style that Martin Bro brings here. And it works really well with Dave Stewart, especially on this nice flashback that we get on the farmer's grizzly discovery. Just the colors and the lighting are really cool. This panel where it's just like the flashlight, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And even when you see the beast, you don't really see it. You just see like an outline of it. And I just really like that. you see what the farmer saw, which was not much. Enough to be upset. Yeah. And and I think like, uh, we'll we'll get to this, but basically the farmer sees like a giant devil or something like that. Some red monster with wings. Also, he can apparently shoot a shotgun with one hand, which is alarmingly strong. Oh, okay. For a 
person to do. Hmm. That's not really doable. Maybe that's why he didn't get the D. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, unless you're Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, you know, that's not happening. So I wonder if he embellished his story right. by saying, I had a flashlight in one hand and a shotgun in the other. <laughs> Boy, let me tell you. It was actually an air rifle. It really, he had nothing and he was just scared shitless and ran away. Well, and he tells Hellboy that he shot it, but he didn't think it did any harm. Mm. So maybe that's that's uh, his way of covering that up. He tells Hellboy that no coyote can cause the type of damage the monster did. And so uh, Farrier, he enthusiastically questions the farmer. And I love this about his character. And Martin Bro really brings it to life, I feel like, in the facial expressions. But even in that story, Black Sun, like... Farrier is just very excited. He's just happy to be here. He's just happy, yeah. and he's just excited about possibly finding something. Right. And here he's like, oh, could you provide us any details and this and that? And he's like, oh, all I smelled was the slaughtered cattle. He's like, you government folks always bring Negroes along with you on this Jeez. kind of job. Oh, it's like, oh, fuck. Fuck this guy. Yeah. And Hellboy, even the expression is kind of like, you know when someone jerks their neck fuck back? Is, yeah, when yes. When someone says something offensive, like it almost like, looks like Hellboy you does yeah. that, you know? Look, pal, Woody's a scientist and an agent of the BPRD. Why don't you try showing a little respect before? But like, Farrier just on, like, he's like, not, we're, not gonna get we're burning daylight, Farrier says. And he spits the t- chewing tobacco, so like this, this little spit there. Oh, right, like yeah. disrespect. Sure. Yeah. What a fucking... Fucking chewing tobacco is the most disgusting thing ever. <laughs> Almost as disgusting as racism. So Horrible. Uh, horrible. Two horrible things from one person at one time. Yes. This guy needs to chill. And we cut to Farrier and Hellboy out in the woods, and Farrier's like, this could be what I'm looking for. We could finally find something. And Hellboy's like, you always say that, and it never is. It's always a goblin or a spook or some mutated animal from the Unkelodite. Don't get your or, hopes up, buddy. Or some sort of goo, he says, like a possessed goo or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Ferrier says, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, Hellboy. Yeah, but like, it's also like, the time to believe something is after you have evidence for right. it, not before, buddy. Yeah. Such a, a molder. He's a very, yeah. he's moldering it up here. Yeah, no, I had a, a little issue with that statement, too, yeah. because I was like, no, that's that's what science is. Yeah. <laughs> it's evidence-based research. <laughs> okay, Mulder. Well, uh, it's a traditional aphorism. The difference between evidence is that something is absent, for example, an observation that suggests there were no dragons here today. And a simple absence of evidence, no careful research has been done, can be nuanced. Indeed, scientists will often debate whether an experiment's result should be considered evidence of absence or if it remains absence of evidence. The debate regards whether the experiment would have detected the phenomenon of interest if it were there. The concept dates back to antiquity, but the phrase was popularized by Carl Sagan in 1997. Right on. And Hellboy's (laughs) like, sure, sure. Tell you what, if I'm wrong, the drinks are on me tonight. Well, I, really, I, I like the way that they do the shadows on their jackets and everything yeah, in these panels. It's, it's like great. it's like really cool because like the individual leaves. It almost gives it kind of a camouflage look, but yeah. not camouflage. It's beautiful. You can tell they're actually walking through a forest. Like the shadows are, yeah, yeah. it's really beautiful. And the co- the chosen color palette for these are um, very striking. Yeah, Dave Stewart is killing it on this. At one point, Fairy is like, yeah, and the only word that we've got on it is that guy. And so Hellboy's like, hey, about that, does that ever get to you? Oh, what, you mean the fact that people are more accepting of a big red guy with horns and a tail than they are a black man? Like, out here doing science and whatever, like, yeah, that sucks. 
Of course it's not easy, Hellboy. Welcome to the world, Farrier says. He says that his folks tried to get him out of studying science and they wanted him to do a trade instead. He said outside of schools like Howard and Morehouse, jobs can be pretty tough to find. Howard University in Washington, D.C. is a research university and Morehouse College in Atlanta is a liberal arts college. Both are chartered and historically black schools. Ferrier says after he got his Ph.D., um, he was offered zero research positions. He didn't even get a chance to mention his interest in cryptozoology. He was teaching high school math when the professor tracked him down, having gotten his hands on one of his rejected research papers. So, yeah, uh, so he had applied around to right. a bunch of places and no one would even give him an interview and yeah. all this stuff. And so, like, that's the thing is when you aren't even granted an interview, it's they're not even looking at your merits. They're just saying, no, we're not right. having yeah. your kind or whatever here. It's fucking. Yeah. And just the off chance that Professor Broom finds a rejected research paper yeah. on something. You know what I mean? He is the one that would find something like that. Someone would be like, hey, well, someone wrote about a monster that, yeah. over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we need another specialist. Let's let's sift through all the people that were rejected from <laughs> the universities for for this type of thing. That would be where you would look. Yeah. Yeah. As they're walking through the forest, they come across this old cabin. And it's all smashed up. It's pretty creepy, right? Yeah. It's got that Evil Dead vibe. Yeah, it? I was going to say, here's a cabin in the woods over here. <laughs> and Ferrier says it doesn't look like anyone's been there long, but Hellboy spots footprints. And he's like, maybe not. So there's a there's a gross part here, but I, I it's funny, though. I like it because they come across all these dead bodies. They're all mutilated. And Ferrier's like, what's that smell? Hellboy goes, I'm guessing it's that. And he points at the bodies <laughs> or whatever. Gruesome. But look at the lighting on Hellboy's scene. face, how you can see like the horns, but his eyes are glowing through. The, yeah. It's so cool. I really like that panel. And I like that humor. I feel like that's a very, I don't know. We just watched the movie. I can hear Ron Perlman delivering that line. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, let's go ask him or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then Woody finds a copy of The Idiot's Guide to Witchcraft and Demonology. There you go, right? <laughs> Which Good job, Aubrey. Yeah, so uh, written by Gustav Strobel. So do you remember what other group of kids came across oh, yeah. this? Uh, the, there was the, uh, the, the Kevin Nolan story. Yeah, Buster Oakley gets yes. his wish. Buster Oakley turned himself into a cowman. And the, there, wasn't there another one, too? Yeah, so there was... The actual story, Witchcraft and Demonology, which was an Abe Sapien issue that showed mm -hmm. how Strobel went to hell and all that stuff. And I think it talked about him writing his book. Okay. Yeah, no, I meant, like, wasn't there, like, another one where a bunch of dumb kids were doing dumb shit? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I think I, so. Because I feel like every time we see this book, it's a bunch of dumb every kids yes. doing dumb shit. <laughs> every time we see this book. You're right, Aubrey. I feel like that's a thing. And they find some sigil. Some baller-ass looking sigils here. And they check out the book, and I think this is the exact same when we saw in Buster Oakley, you know, the cover page and all that, which is really cool. I'll do a side-by-side -side comparison. And Hellboy says, I guess these kids tried to do some kind of summoning thing, and it went south on them. And so all of a sudden, they hear a roaring sound. That's never good. Demon Wiener! Incredible artwork by Martin Burrow as this... Uh, demon Wiener! His demon smashes through. I guess he does have a wiener yeah, there. Yeah, a wiener. Yeah, good job there. 
Good job drawing a demon crashing through a wall in his ween- his his demon wiener. I like this page though. I like the you know the top panel with just the eyes and the color, the way that it changes yeah. as he smashes through. I love this aw crap panel with Hellboy. That is just a great God. Look at that. I love the way that Martin Bro draws Hellboy's face. It's really cool. And we get some great action here. So. Hellboy starts shooting at the monster, and that doesn't do anything, so then he just, like, rams it through the wall. I love how the color palette changes. Oh, like, yeah. it's all this kind of, like, orange, and then you cut to the outside. It's just so dynamic. I really love this artwork. And so, as Hellboy's fighting this monster, he's like, Woody, do something. Figure something out. So then he starts looking through the book, and I really love how they build the tension on this page. Like, yeah. he's like, okay, and he's like, He's got seconds to do something, and he's, he has a whole book that he has to look yeah. through, and he's yeah. just like, the sweat's coming down his face, and he's like, uh, come on, come on. Like, I like that. You just see his eyes, like, you know, we freaking get, out. We get a shot of Hellboy's hoovies here. His little spats and his little hoovies. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, as he kicks the monster off. I do think this is cool, because he, like, punches the monster, the devil, and it just says, thud. Like, it doesn't really do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? You would think the right hand of doom, yeah, there would be a boom or something. A boom or And the monster cracker. just growls, and then it, like, bats him away. So, finally, Farrier finds the sigil, and he's like, ah, they fucked up drawing this thing. Oh, uh, okay. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be triangles Dra- instead of circles. Uh, okay. Do you know the difference between triangles and how, circles? How do you draw circles where there are triangles, though? That doesn't... <laughs> So then he calls out to Hellboy. He's like, I know what to do. You got to get him back into this pentagram. Hear that, big guy? Let's go for a walk, Hellboy says. Now he bashes him through the wall on the other side. (laughs) He's trying to wrestle him into this spot. And he's like, get him inside the lines. Yes, I'm working on it. (laughs) That is what I'm currently in the process of doing. It it, It takes a lot of effort to wrestle this demon. He did a really good job of getting rid of those circles and turning them into triangles. Sure did. Yeah. Sure did. <laughs> oh, and it looks like they left off another part, but that he actually put it on. He put it on there, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, no wonder. Dumb kids. They just suck at drawing. Yeah, learn to draw. Learn to freaking trace. <laughs> well, what's the? Di- I mean, learn the difference between a circle and a triangle, though. Yeah. Like, come on. If you're going to be drawing sigils on the yes. ground, you should know the difference between your basic shapes. If you are shapes. summoning demons, those are basic shapes. <laughs> But I love the effect when they finally get it into the pentagram. You really get the sense that it, like, closes up around him or some there's some sort of energy. It's really cool. Great effect there. Trapped in a little, little bubble here. Farrier changes it from a summoning to a banishing. He, well, like, changes some of the symbol, I guess. Well, before that, though, I liked the little where the demon goes whimper. <laughs> yeah, when he gets, like, trapped in there. There's that one moment. So the banishment works, and there's a great effect at, like... Is it passing through the veil right there? Yeah, Because you see for it sure. like, yeah. that is a really cool effect. And the color palette, ah, it's just impressive. So they're like, oh, I guess that worked. We cut over to them having to tell the family of those kids. So they're like, oh, why did we let them keep that damned book? Why'd you buy it for them in the first place? Right, or maybe they <laughs> found, they it, found and it. it. I guess yeah. they found it and they like let them hold on to it. They I wonder if it's, yeah. uh, oh, I wonder where Buster Oakley took place. Is this like the same area? I should have looked that up. I thought that was in uh, like the Midwest. Right, right. Yeah. This is Oregon, right? Or, yeah, this yeah. is Oregon. So the sheriff comes over. He says, so that was it, some kind of demon thing? To the best of our understanding, yes, Farrier says. Demon is as good a name for it as any. Likely story. Your kind do tend to go for superstitious hoodoo, don't you? Uh, 
Oh, punch that guy's face. Jeez, this guy is gross. Hellboy's like, look, Mac, I told you before. Show a little respect or I'm liable to. Leave it, Hellboy, Farrier interrupts. The professor's expecting our report. Let's not keep him waiting. But Farrier points out you were wrong about it being a mutated animal. We were both wrong this time. But a bet's a bet. Drinks are on me, Hellboy says. Next time I hope it is a crypto whatever thing, though I've had my fill of all this demon nonsense. Yeah. And as Farrier walks away, we see... He's holding the book. He's still got the book. Okay, no, see, I think I don't think Farrier's going to do anything... Well, hopefully he's not going to do anything dumb, but I mean, he's he seems a lot smarter than all the dumb kids we've seen. Yeah. Those Maybe it's best that he takes it, right? Yeah. I mean, what are they going to do with it? Yeah, I like that. I, I would love to see Martin Burrow come back and do some more stuff. Maybe he does, um, but I really loved the artwork in this. I really, really dug this. Okay, so um, we're looking at the digital version of this. And so actually, before we get into this, I want to scroll all the way back to the trade paperback cover. We get this awesome uh, cover by Paulo Rivera. It is super awesome. Yeah, and it shows, you know, I love his version of the leatherback turtle that he's got here. Yeah, and then we also have this cover, which is one of the covers for Occult Intelligence, the next story that we're going to get. But Rivera is just amazing when he does these, like, kind of painted covers yeah. um, for it's, Hellboy. He's got that nice, like, 1940s, 50s. Yeah, back, yeah. He also yeah. did, like, the um, the Norman Rockwell tribute one, remember? Yeah. 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 I'd like to have that. That would be nice to have as a print, like, framed up. Oh, thing. yeah, for yeah. sure. And then we get another cover here as it introduces a story in the trade paperback version. This is the third cover. is three issues. Yeah, so our next story is Hellboy and the BPRD 1955 Occult Intelligence. This is a three-issue arc published from September to November 2017. Written by Mignola and Chris Robertson. Illustrated by Brian Chirilla. Brian Chirilla also did Hellboy and the BPRD Ghost Moon, which we covered back in episode 98. Colored by Dave Stewart. Lettered by Clem Robbins. And covers by Paulo Rivera, which we already mentioned. I do like this cover where you get to see the kind of x-ray on uh, Hellboy. That's pretty neat. Oh, that is cool. What a neat of... Yeah, we haven't really seen that. Uh, well, Mignola has done kind of like a Hellboy skeleton, turning into a skeleton thing, I think, on one of those yeah. Hellboy and Hell covers. But uh, it is a cool fact. We open in Marshall Island, South... This is an island country near the equator in the Pacific Ocean, slightly west of the International Date Line. From 1946 to 1958, it served as the Pacific Proving Grounds for the United States and was the site of 67 nuclear tests from Horrible. various atolls. Horrible. The world's first atomic bomb, codenamed Mike, was tested at Marshall Islands on November 1 in 1952 by the United States. Awful. So going along with that historical detail, right, we see these two workers in the story and they're positioning a bomb on Marshall Island. So I guess this is one of their test things. They note that it doesn't look like other A-bombs. And so it's got like some weird kind of shape to it, right? Yeah. Oh, but then we also get to see this really funky mutated crab in the first couple panels. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't mention that. Um, oh, is he a mutated crab? I just thought he was a little crab. I thought he was a regular crab. He looks like a regular crab. Uh, well, because of what goes on the story, I just assume. Uh, maybe he is a mutated maybe crab. Maybe he is, okay. I don't know, tell us what you think. Is he a mutated crab or not? <laughs> As they're working, they hear a crack, and oh no, something comes out of the sky. This guy says, holy crow! Okay. I thought that was an interesting exclamation. Right. <laughs> it's just like a shape, but it like totally goes through this dude's head. And some more gruesome onomatopoeias let us know that these guys are goners. <laughs> what do you think about these? Schlurk? No. 
chunk. (laughs) (laughs) Over at Reynolds Air Force Base. I don't know if this is actually a place. I couldn't find a reference to it. There is an Air Force Base on Marshall Islands, but it's called Buchot's Army Airfield. I read that its position is ideal for refueling of Trans-Pacific flights. That's exactly what's happening here. It seems like Hellboy and Farrier are coming back from an Australian mission where they encountered a bunyip, and I guess they're getting more fuel. So, of course, I had to look that up. A bunyip is a creature from Australian Aboriginal mythology said to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. The word bunyip is usually translated by Aboriginal Australians today as devil or evil spirit. But I found, like, bunyips was, like, a broad term, because when I tried to look up what, what one looked like, like, in one picture, it looked like a panther, and another picture looked like a crab, and one picture looked like an alien or something weird. Well, you like know? demons look like all different kinds. So of stuff. I think it's kind of like a broad term. Yeah, spirits—they look like all different kinds. Yeah, of things. bunyips presumably seen by witnesses, according to their descriptions, most commonly fit one of two categories. Sixty percent of sightings resemble seals or swimming dogs, and twenty percent of sightings are long-necked creatures with small heads. The remaining descriptions are ambiguous beyond categorization. The seal dog variety is often described as being between four and six feet long with a shaggy black or brown coat. So I wonder, did Farrier get his cryptozoology discovery if they're saying that they saw this thing? I guess. Oh. He's like, I wish they had let us take back the remains. So I guess he didn't get it or I don't know. Does that count or not if he didn't get to bring it back with him? I mean, yeah, I mean, he would if he found it, yeah. Yeah. So maybe he did get it. I, I hope he did. We also get some familiar faces with Hellboy for this story. We've got Stegner. He's been with the BPRD since 1947, and Hellboy's childhood friend Archie Muraro, who's been with the BPRD since 48. Archie and Stegner, they go check out the airbase and have a smoke. Archie makes mention of Margaret. She doesn't like him smoking. Remember, Margaret is the woman at the... She's like Professor Broom's secretary... And she watches over Hellboy in some of in the Midnight Circus and stuff like that. Yeah, Margaret's been on me to cut down, but you know how it is, right? And it seems like Stegner he thinks that there's something going on there, and he's like, "Oh, you should close the deal." But Archie's like, "It's not like that." But then uh, he's interrupted here. He gets distracted by running into his old friend Hampton Taylor. Ham. He calls him Ham. Yeah. And this guy's all fancy in his uniform. He's a major now, right? He kind of pull. He kind of pulls at his collar or whatever. He's all bragging too. Major now. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while since he's seen Archie. He says, "Oh, last I heard, you signed on to some goofy government outfit, and they were off hunting monsters." Yeah, that's about the size of it. Archie says. Speaking of which, and then Hellboy comes over, and he's like, "Jeez, <laughs> name's Hellboy." The shrinking violet here is Woody. That's Farrier right behind him. Yeah. I guess because that's a term used to denote like someone who's shy or doesn't talk a lot. So, of course, I had to look that up. I found this on phrases.org.uk in a poetry magazine called The Indicator. The poet and essayist Leigh Hunt drew attention to the modest wood violet. Quote, there was a buttercup struggling from a white to a dirty yellow and a faint colored poppy. And here and there, by the thorny underwood, a shrinking violet. There you go for that. What do you think about that? Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The more you know. (laughs) Archie notes that the base looks pretty busy. And Taylor says they're kept pretty busy. And he changes the subject. He asks the guys if if they want a drink. And Archie can't wait. We cut over to London Airport in England. And we've got Professor Broom. And we've got Agent Susan Jang. She's back. We've seen her in the Hellboy and BPRD stories before, Ghost Moon, Beyond the Fences. Um, In that story, she learned about the Enkelidite and the monsters that came from the explosion. 
She was also in Wandering Souls and the Unreasoning Beast. That was the one where they found that little boy, Victor Kalsler. We also saw an old version of her in the Christmas story, God Rest Ye Mary. That was the one with, um, it had art by Paul Griss from The Visitor. Remember, mm-hmm. it was like one of those visitor stories. And the pair meet up with Harry Middleton. Apparently, Zhang was traveling for Tess with her parapsychology consultant, and Broom decided to tag along to see his friend. And there's a nice character moment here when Harry asks Broom if he ever regretted moving to the States. And Harry also kind of like hints at, I don't know, some war PTSD or something like that. You know, he kind of mentions, uh, the war seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? And yet there are days when it feels like I've just returned from the front. I suppose that all of us will be dealing with its effects for a long time to come, won't we? Indeed we shall, Broom responds. Back at the bar with the gang on Marshall Island. They're all having some beers here. They're hanging out. I thought it was interesting. Stegner is at a table by himself. He's not like with the rest of them. That guy's been through a lot. And I think we see that later in the story. But like, um, maybe that's an indication uh, as to why he sits by himself. They make this comment. They're like, remember that time when Smitty went up after that bender? He ended up flying a sortie with vomit all down the front of his flight suit. A sortie is a deployment or a dispatch of one military unit. As they're talking, this guy comes in with like a hard hat or something, and then he sees all of them there. He sees Hellboy, and then he backs out. Did you notice that? Okay, you know, I noticed it this time, but I don't think I noticed it the first time I read it. I thought it was just some guy walking in, and I guess I just... I don't know why. I mean, it's that's something that I should have taken note of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he he sees them, and then he leaves after he sees them, and he, like, books it. But they don't even notice. Archie asked Taylor about some of the strange sightings that he mentioned, and Taylor says there's been a lot of weird stuff. Like on his last flight patrol, he saw something large in the water, the size of an aircraft carrier. Then the two guys setting up scaffolding disappear. Those are those two guys from that opening scene, right, that got killed or whatever. And Taylor mentions an E-bomb. When Hellboy asks about it, Taylor says he doesn't actually know what it is. They've been experimenting with all sorts of bombs, and the eggheads keep to themselves. And we cut over to the eggheads over here, drinking by themselves. And I was like, this guy looks like me. Chirilla always draws a guy that kind of looks like me. Because in in Ghost Moon, remember in Ghost Moon, the villain kind of looked like me? That kind of looks like me right there. It kind of (laughs) does. He's not wearing any glasses. Oh, but he's not wearing glasses. You're right. And and he's smoking. Don't smoke, John. No. Okay. (laughs) Of course, no. So outside, then we see the hard hat guy. That's the one that backed out of the bar earlier. He's on the phone reporting to his Russian superiors. He says their counterparts are there. And the superior says to move the timetable up. She will not be pleased if the mission is aborted due to your negligence, Moravec. That's what he calls him. Okay, so let's back up. Do you remember who Moravec is? I do not. Okay. So Moravec was the villain in Hellboy and the BPRD Broken Fences. So here's a quick recap. Let's see if you remember this. All right. So this kid, he loses his dog. And it turns out he's a redheaded kid. And it turns out his dad is one of the egghead scientists who's working on the bombs. The dad has an, a piece of enkelodite. Yeah. And they catch him. And the dog mutates. Oh, yeah. That was and horrible. so the dad, he was trying to bring the enkelodite to Moravec. Yeah. And so Moravec then goes to the prison and he electrocutes him. Mm. Remember, they find him with all those scars dead. Okay. Then Hellboy and the agents, they fight the dog that mutated after it because of the Ankelodite. And Moravec also had this Russian woman with him. Remember, at the end of the story, she turns into a wolf and helps Hellboy fight the demon. Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So then um, 
at the end of the story, when the, the mutated dog is dead, Susan Zhang is recovering some of the evidence, and she has one of her visions, and one of her visions is of Hellboy and Moravec fighting. Okay. Okay, having some sort of battle. At the end of the story, Moravec is with his henchwoman, and she tells him, we still have a mission to perform. She could be listening to us even now. And then we get a panel of Vavara laughing to herself. Ah. Okay. Okay, so then that was that. All these 1950 stories kind of go together. But we had a year break in between them, okay? So then that happened. So then at the end of Hellboy Ghost Moon... I, I Right now, just all I can think of is that still shot of Charlie Day with the wall. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pictures <laughs> <and strings laughs> That's me right it. now. That's definitely me. <laughs> yes. Okay, so then at the end of Hellboy Ghost Moon, we see the British Special Intelligence, and they're tracking two Russians, and they call the woman Rahel Rebane, and they call the guy Valentin Moravec. And if any of this is confusing to you, or you're completely... Don't know what I'm talking about? Go back and read Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 and 1954. We conveniently covered all those issues on episodes 95 through 98. So just like Matt said, if you want to go back to listen to some older episodes, go check those out and then come back and listen to this one or whatever. If you're you're still completely confused. That was a while ago. So, okay. So when when I I, I did not remember any of that, but I do know. But when he was making his call, I was like, oh, I know who he's calling and I know who he's talking about. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right. Okay. And so now we're caught up on who Moravec is. He's still trying to get the Enkelidite. That's what his whole deal is. Right. So when he gets off this phone call, he's busted by security. I kind of thought this was interesting because they always are – I don't really see this a lot. Usually security doesn't catch them or oh, right. when someone is like undercover, a bad guy, like they're just able to sneak under – you never actually see the security go like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be here. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just thought it was novel that they actually do that. And so Moravec's like, oh, you want me to put my hands up? You want my hand? Here it is. And he shocks him. Remember, he's yes. got those electricity powers. Over at the Institute of Psychiatry in London – Dr. N.K. Sanhu is working with Victor. That's the boy who we met in Unreasoning Beast. See, all these stories kind of go together. We had some amazing Patrick Reynolds art in that one, by the way. And if the name Sanhu sounds familiar, we met a badass agent Sanhu in Rise of the Black Flame. We covered that on episode 78 and Rasputin Voice of the Dragon, which we covered on episode 104. I think we theorized earlier that we thought that this san who might be related to him like maybe that's a daughter or something or mm-hmm. somehow and so we see victor he's learning how to use his monkey powers right he draws the monkey out and then he draws it back in or whatever mm. and they note how well he's progressing with his powers yeah so i like that i thought that was pretty cool and Zhang has brought over some more comics for him in unreasoning beast he was reading an issue of sheena queen of the jungle and this time, it's an issue of Jungle Adventures. I really tried hard to look for this cover. I just couldn't find it. Last time, Patrick Reynolds had based it off an actual cover. And they do that a lot when they talk yeah. about comics. So I don't know if that's what Churla is doing here, but I like to think that he is. But there are just not a lot of covers of these comics available. Like, I even looked on uh... eBay, and it's just the same couple of issues every time like i wonder if some covers are rarer than others like i couldn't find it I, it was kind of frustrating i was like dang it i want to find this cover but i couldn't find it so if anyone uh sees that or I, I would love to find um if that's an actual reference um so victor is psyched about the comics and jang said that she read them on the plane and she liked them and so victor now he likes her and he asked the doctor if she's going to be staying with them and so the doctor's like well she can you know and so that's like an invitation and Zhang takes it. 
And so I love that the doctor says, splendid. Now let's begin your test. So she's immediately ready to get to it. She's like, you're staying here? All right, let's get to work. Back with Broom and Harry Middleton. They have a few pints together. We've seen this too um, in some other stories where they hang out. You know, they'll be in the pub, you know, talking about their missions while they have a, a few. Harry doesn't believe that Broom is just visiting and he wants to know what's really up. Broom asks about old contacts from the British Paranormal Society. Harry says that most have gone to ground. I was like, does that mean they're dead? Sorry. No, that means that they go to a safe spot. Yeah, yeah, go to ground means to hide, to become inaccessible, to disappear from the scene, often for a lengthy period of time. Originally, go to ground was a fox hunting term, meaning that the fox in question had escaped into a burrow or underground den. But Harry says some weird stuff has been happening. Like, he went to investigate this haunted inn, but they said a plainclothes policeman had already been there. But then when Harry asked the police about it, they didn't know what he was talking about. I like about. this panel. <laughs> Which one? Where he's talking to the police yes. down there? <laughs> yeah, that is humorous. It's super funny to me. Yeah. He's like, but what about this? And the officer's like, what are you talking about? It's <laughs> <laughs> good. The body language in this panel is it's good comedic timing. Yeah. Chirilla, yeah. I really like his work. Harry mentions that he ran into their old friend, Reginald Griffith. He joined the British Paranormal Society around the same time Broom and Lady Cynthia did. And we get a little picture of them. That's uh, Reginald there. Look at when these I pub glasses they're drinking out of here. That's that, you know, oh, that right. very extremely we overshaped crystal. Right. We talked about that last yeah. time, didn't we? I forgot what those were called. Well, that's a different kind of Oh, this is a different kind. Glass. Yeah, you've, we've seen... Co you, we have a couple of, you know, mismatched, like, tumblers that kind of have that. Okay, yeah. Kind of spiky looking... It's a, you know, it's a crystal pattern where it's yeah, all like yeah. super textured. I didn't even very, notice that. That's yeah. a great detail there. But when I saw this picture of Griffith, I thought, I think he's at the end of Ghost Moon too. Because when I was rereading that stuff, I was like, oh wait, I think they show that guy in the end of that issue as well. Ooh. Harry tells Broom that he tried to talk to Griffith and he pretended he didn't know him. Something strange is going on. Mark my words, he tells Broom. Back with Hellboy and the gang on Marshall Island, Hellboy, Taylor, and Archie... They see some crew assembling the bombs, and suddenly they hear this horrible sound. Holy shit, it's a mutated leatherback sea turtle. <laughs> I like turtles. I love this thing. Yeah, like, he's great. Man, it's, a, it's an amazing looking creature. Yeah, and uh, I love Godzilla how it's- was a turtle. It has like the long, like these paddle- yeah. Like flippers? Yeah, yeah there you go. flippers, but he's walking <laughs> on like their little stilts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They start getting the civilians out of there, and of course, of course, Hellboy goes in there for the action. I got this. Hey, ugly, he says, and we get right hand of doom boom number 50 against a giant leatherback sea turtle. <laughs> and at one point, it kind of like stoops down to Hellboy to kind of like get its mouth in its face, and Hellboy <laughs> kind of like grabs onto its face, and then he starts getting like, then he's stuck there. Yeah. As the head goes back up, then he's like stuck there. I thought that was a pretty cool like kind of comedic thing and at the same time his boot gets stuck on the bottom like razor sharp tooth and he's lifted into the air by it he's like kind of starting to think this was a bad idea so they start shooting at it but that's not effective at all and the thing is just like coming down on hellboy trying to bite him trying to like it's like got that snapping turtle mouth type of deal so hellboy has an idea he gets a grenade off his belt he throws it in the monster's mouth and he like rips his foot away and it kind of tears away from the boot you can see like his little hooves in there and he jumps away i love how it snaps at his tail like right at the end like it just narrowly misses like biting him right there 
And then, of course, it just blows up everywhere. There's, like, guts flying all over the place. <laughs> Gross. At least Hellboy didn't get, like, all caught up in it this time, right? Yeah. He's like, okay, that wasn't much fun. And he looks down at his boot. Damn, these were my best boots, too. I think that is such a cool image. Like, just to see yeah. his foot in a boot like that. Or, I don't know. You it's... always like seeing his little hooves. What do you think about that? Yeah. I like seeing his little hooves. I spent a little way too much time trying to think about how his hoof foot fit in that shoe. Right, yeah. Maybe he got some custom made boots or something. Well it seemed like he had a lot like a lot of extra room in there. Yeah. 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 But you know, they're probably uh like um molded to like fit his like foot in there. Like maybe he's got you know how we have insoles? So that's maybe it's like a toe insole, but it fits that half of the shoe instead of the bottom half of the shoe. See, that's what I was wondering. I mean, is there like an insole or is it like so did somebody specially make these for him? I feel like <laughs> the boots are just regular boots and then he's got, got insoles insole. that are specially yeah. formulated for his feet. Okay. Nice. To fill out the rest of the boot where his his hoof isn't Mm-hmm. I prefer to see him with those spats, though. Just like, yeah, well, I think yeah. this is probably when he switches over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Back in London, Professor Broom goes to meet with Lady Cynthia Eden Jones, and she's got some fancy digs. Yeah, very fancy. She looks like she's wearing a um, like some like a riding outfit. Like oh she's, yeah, like she's just yeah. been horse riding. Sure, yeah. What's that equestrian? There you go. Good job there. And Broom mentioned she gave him the tip about the bunyip in Australia. He's like, it's becoming almost common that you always know, you know, where things are happening all over the world. You know, he says, I'm beginning to suspect there are more people out there who are investigating stuff, paranormal. Would it be presumptuous to assume that you might be able to put me in touch with these people? And she's like, oh, Trevor, that's absurd. You know fully well that our occult branches are shut down and there's little paranormal investigation other than your little friends like Harry Middleton. She mentions the British Paranormal Society is just a few old pensioners. The Foundry closed up shops. I don't know if you remember the Foundry. Those were those guys that helped Sir Edward Gray in Witchfinder the Gates of Heaven, Colonel Burke. Professor Maddox and Major Singh. They're the ones that made all of their all of that shit, right? Well, and their evil colleague, Aldous Middengard Sinclair. Do you remember <laughs> oh, that? Oh, God. How can I forget <laughs> oh, that, guys? Yeah. Absurd name. <laughs> so that was the Foundry, and then she said the HBR has gone to ground, the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra. And she's like, and even if there were some investigators, why would I be involved? I had quite enough of that sort of business during the war, I assure you. And her mannerisms, and she's like, oh... Why would I be involved? And Broom says, yes, of course. How silly of me. I love how telling that panel is. Like, you know that Mm. he knows something's up. You know what I mean? He knows that she's not being completely honest. Back with Hellboy and Farrier, he attends to his busted boots, and Farrier asks him why he wears them in the first place. And here we get, like, a little bit of insight. Yeah. I guess I used to be self-conscious about what people would think, and the boots helped me fit in or something. Now, who cares? Love it. I love that. That's gross yeah. right there. Good stuff. I wonder if this writer is thinking about, like, in the movie he was wearing boots, but then, like, why in the comics does he sometimes just have not the boots? And then he was like, ah, I'll come up with why. I'll do that. Oh, yeah, I do and like I'll that. And I'll be like, well, when I was a little upstart, I thought this and that, and I don't know. 
So I like that. I mean, no, I mean, and I think well, the like, timeline doesn't really work then, though, does it? At that point, that's not. That's well, not really I good think the that timeline. you know I haven't really been following the boot continuity. Sure, <laughs> but I think that if you did go back and check, he probably goes back and forth. People probably right, draw yeah. him with boots. People, other people probably draw him yeah. with the hooves. And so this kind of maybe explains it a little bit. Right. Like, you know, if people have wondered, like, why does he wear boots sometimes and sometimes he doesn't? You know, and maybe... The timeline might not track, so maybe it's not necessarily linear pattern of growth. Maybe it's just like, well, some days I'm with a certain group of people and I feel like maybe this is appropriate for me to wear boots in. Sometimes I'm in the desert Mm -hmm. and it's easier to walk around with the boots on. And sometimes because my hooves sink in the sand. Sure. So it could be like an environmental aspect to it too but it also well, could be like a social thing i kind social of thing yeah sure i kind of like yeah, that too absolutely. that like you know what i mean like hey maybe i'm being a little feeling a little self-conscious today yeah and, and everybody has bad days i've never like met and, these people before and it's bad enough that i have horns maybe i should not yeah freak them out with the hooves always well, like i'm really having a bad day today i put on my boots, put on my boots. <laughs> <laughs> well the uh in the last story we just read though he didn't have all the boots he had all the spats yeah yeah so oh. What's interesting here is that you can see the full hoof without the spats at all. I don't oh, know if yeah, I've yeah. ever seen that before. Very gargoyles-esque. Yeah, yeah, I like that. He always has like little little feet. I love little, little I love legs little, and little feet. I love the little feet. And so Hellboy's like, that's definitely mutated, right? Speaking of the leatherback turtle. And Farrah's like, no, it's actually you know native to the region, but they usually don't get this big. And he's like, well, what about those teeth? Talk about mutated. And he says, actually, that's how a leatherback's mouth looks. <laughs> Jeez, Hellboy says. Damn. So I did look that up. Leatherback sea turtles might not have a set of teeth, but they have an esophagus filled with hundreds of sharp spines called palipi. Ah, okay. Aside from its prominent mouth, the turtle species also has an unusually long esophagus that extends way past its stomach and all the way to the rear. Okay. So that esophagus spiny filled thing like is Neat. a giant tube through the entire... It shreds up the food. Oh, yeah. That's cool. That's wow. insane. Yeah. The more you know. <laughs> yeah. It's fun. So Stegner, he sees this and he immediately thinks of Utah in 1948. He's like, oh, this is like those monsters uh, from the Enkelodite. The eggheads were testing out the A-bombs. It created that glass. The monsters were drawn to it. And they're like, oh, it did seem like it was coming towards that container on the shore where the bomb was. And so if you go back and you look at the action scene, that's exactly what it's doing. It's walking over there to the to the thing. Yeah. And then it's gone. So then they notice that the bomb isn't even there anymore. Okay, something is up, Archie says. Archie sees Taylor and he tries to talk to him again, but Taylor's all different this time. He says he'll get in trouble from talking to him. New orders. They can't fraternize with anyone except, and then the colonel comes over and he's like, Major Taylor. And the colonel, he's with this little weird guy. You see this guy with the little notepad and the glasses? I yeah. wanted to note that guy right there, right? He's the kind of guy that gets eaten by the dinosaur. And there you go, apart. right? <laughs> <laughs> Taylor has to go back to his business of cleaning up the mess. And Hellboy's like, anyone else notice that they don't seem to be bothered by this giant mutated turtle? Starting to seem that way. Yeah, Archie says. We get this scene with Dr. Sanhu, Zhang, and Victor. And they're all having breakfast or something like that. And Victor gets up to go to school. And he seems like he's in a better mood. I think it's because Susan's there. And then when he leaves, they kind of talk for a little bit. Sanhu remarks how well Zhang is doing with her powers. And Zhang says she wishes she could control when the flashes occur. Sanhu says everyone's gifts are different. Lady Cynthia can converse with spirits. Zhang might be more of a psychometrist. 
she is actually perceiving events that have happened or are yet to come. And then just then, Susan has another flash. So let's talk about this. There's a lot happening over just like a couple of panels here. So I do want to point out, we get this little inset panel. Did you notice this? I was like, that has to be a thing, right? That's cool. This is uh, actually a small part of a painting, a scene from Ramayana, an ancient Sanskrit epic. Depicted here are several stages of the War of Lanka, with the monkey army of the protagonist Rama fighting the demon army of the king of Lanka, Ravana, to save Rama's kidnapped wife, Sita, the three-headed figure of the demon general, occurs in several places, most dramatically at the bottom left where he is shown beheaded. The work was done by Sahibdin in the 17th century. He was an Indian miniature painter and one of the most dominant painters of the era, and one of the few whose work is still known today. Awesome. So I will post a picture of that. Um, It's a really huge, incredible piece. So we get that panel, which is chock full of... uh, There's a monkey army in there, okay? You know what I mean? Nice. You know, the the Crimson Lotus, the those monkeys and all that kind of stuff, you know, so that makes me think of that. Then we see this other little panel of the statue. This makes me think of Durga, reference to Ashley Strode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Durga's been, we also saw a statue of Durga with Panya when she showed up in the Witchfinder series. And then this one little panel of Dr. Sanhu, she's staying in front of a painting of someone who looks just like her. Right. And so that has to be the uh. Sanhu that we know. You know what I mean? Like, that that's the Sanhu that we met in Rise of the Black Flame and Voice of the Dragon. So, a lot of stuff happening there. And then you reveal the flash that she has. And so, what is this? What is that? Who do you think that is? I mean, is that Liz? Is that Ashley Strode? Is that none of them? Like, what is she seeing here? I, I thought it was just her. Uh, kind of warping out or something. Oh, that's her. She's seen herself. I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, no, that, no, no. That's, that's just what I thought. Okay. Huh. Yeah, I don't really know what to make of that. This, I was like, who is that? This person has long hair, though. Or no. I just attributed that to the... Cause oh, the wacky, like it's a warped effect. Yeah, because oh, like, cause the, okay. arm, the, the arms are all elongated, yeah. too. Okay. You're right. Okay. But I mean, of course, you know, if it is somebody, it does. I guess it does kind of have a... I guess it could be Liz. But I with, don't know. But Liz wouldn't be born yet, and there's no cross. Right. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, interesting, thought-provoking. Zhang says that it felt different. It's happened before, but the last time was in 53. Weird, she says. We get this scene with Broom. So, like, he knows where all his old secret passageways, places are. You know what I mean? He, we see him, like, go through to some underground toilet, and then he passes through there, and he pushes on, like, a special brick. And then uh, I really like this panel right here. He's, like, going down these stairs. That is so cool. I really love the work here by Trilla and Dave Stewart. And he finally ends up in the sewer, and then he gets held at gunpoint. That's far enough, a voice says. We cut back to... Hellboy, and he's helping a very drunk Stegner get home. Hellboy asks him why he's so plastered. It's not my fault. Archie's old home week with his war buddies last night. Bunch of crap. What about my buddies? The ones that didn't make it. That never got off the beach at Normandy. Or the ones that survived the war, but not the peace. Ruiz and Russell in that goddamn chateau. He's referencing BPRD Vampire, which we covered in episode 38. Kayo and Pike out in the desert, and here he's referencing BPRD 1948, which we covered in episode 37. So all his friends have died. Like, that makes me think so what, that's why he sits by himself. Yeah. He yeah. doesn't even mention Anders at all. Jeez. 
You know what I mean? So, like, I thought that was interesting how they have that scene with him sitting by himself and then they follow yeah. it with someone like this. It kind of, you know, and that's like, you have to be paying attention to see all the storytelling that's going on. Yeah. I really like that. You know, that could go unappreciated, I think. And Hellboy's like, I know it's rough. It's not easy losing someone. And Segner's like, what do you know about it? You've never lost anybody. You're just a kid. The puppy you got when you were barely out of diapers is still alive. So don't go telling me what you know about. And then he runs into fucking Moravec with all the Ankelodite. This guy Moravec yeah. is just a klutz <laughs> for all his like lightning powers and all his imposing. Like He's, <laughs> he's, he's just, just a dumb shit. He I don't really know. kind of is. <laughs> oh, Some drunk dude is going to foil your plan. Yeah. So him referring to uh, Hellboy as just a kid here actually kind of makes me think about uh, when we were talking about Hellboy in the movies being more kid-like. Than right, he is. yeah. It's so it's like, uh, this is the Hellboy in the movies. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I like that, Aubrey. I mean, how old is he really right here? He's only like 10? Wow. Because uh, he, came, he came through in Christmas of 45, right? Yeah, 44 or 45, yeah. yeah and this is 55 right before Christmas. Jeez. So, yeah, he's 9 going on 10. You didn't even think about that. So yeah, as they knock over the, all the Enkelodite, and then Stegner, he looks, he's like, oh shit, that's Enkelodite. <laughs> and so Moravec kicks Stegner away, and Hellboy's like, hey, what's the big idea of pushing my friend around? And Moravec's like, he's losing at this point. I love this. It reminds me of the of the Endgame meme where she's like, you took everything from me. And he's like, I don't even know who you uh, are. <laughs> like, that's basically what happens here is like, Moravec's like, it's always you in Rosemead and Bermuda and Helsinki. Again and again, you interfere with my plans. She will have my head if I allow you to do so again. I was like, I don't even know who you are. If your girlfriend or whoever has some beef with you, it's nothing to do with me. So he swings back to punch Hellboy, and Hellboy's like, I think you're punching outside of your weight class. But then he, like, shocks him, you know, because he's got his, like, electric powers or whatever. So I was wondering if this is what Zhang, she saw that a vision of Moravec and Hellboy fighting. And it didn't look exactly like this. It looked a lot more epic. Um, Moravec wasn't in this hard hat. He had, like, all his tattoos out and stuff like that. I think Hellboy was shirtless or something, but... Well, I think that, vi- that vision just hasn't happened yet. Or maybe it's it's not the exact way that it's going to happen, or I don't know. But maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe this isn't the final battle between them, but they do have a fight here. Um, I do think this is a super cool panel where Hellboy's getting up and he's like, that was a cute trick, I'll admit. That is so cool. I just love that panel. I think that that's a really, like, a just a oh, cool yeah. pose. So Hellboy just tries to, like, bear hug him. Moravec puts his hands on either side of his face and shocks him like that. We get this really cool panel at the bottom where we see, like, the skeleton outline of his hands on Hellboy. Then you see, like, the skull on Hellboy's head. That is really nice. The color work is just like, wow. Right? I I wouldn't mind seeing the, uh, I guess, like, the pencils or the inks on this page. Yeah, 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 for sure. As Hellboy falls back... Moravec comes over to give, like, the killing blow. I guess he's going to shock him again. And all of a sudden, there's a screech. Oh, no. It's a giant mutated albatross. Because they're drawn to the Ankelodite. He's got a toolbox full of it. So, of course, here comes this giant monster down on him. Oh, I didn't look up what this means. Do you know what that means? Something more. So, maybe, like, fuck me. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, Moravec, he even, like, gets ready to get it. He's like, all right, come back again. I'm going to shock you this time. But then it like it still knocks him backwards. I don't really know that his powers were that effective against the this monster. It didn't seem like. This phrase yeah. means, oh my god. Oh, okay. okay. Thanks, Danielle. 
Oh my, oh my goodness, oh my god, oh my gosh, stuff like that. Just oh kinda, my, It's I kind guess, of an yeah. ex- exclamation of like, Ugh. And then uh, as they come running outside, they're like, what the heck is that? It would appear to be an albatross, Farrier says. He's always the one saying what something yeah. is, you know what I mean? I like him. He's so just dry and on the surface. He'd be entertaining to have around. Yeah. <laughs> Archie, he sees the giant albatross attacking this dude in the hard hat. He's like, we got to help that guy. And they're like, wait, no, that guy is some kind of Russian spy. He was about to electrocute me and Stegner with his hands. And Archie's like, oh, okay, that's new. And Hellboy says it sounds like he's been skulking around in the shadows for a while now. So actually what Moravec does is he like takes a piece of the Ankelodite out and then he throws the rest of the toolbox at Hellboy. So that way the monster will go to them. And then he's able to make his escape. Archie goes after him, but uh, Hellboy stays behind. He's like, okay, guys, I've got this. And he punches the albatross just as it comes down. I was surprised we didn't get a boom there. It just says smack. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, ha, one shot. That is like a 10-year-old. You know what I mean? Being like, oh, I got this. I got it this time. Boom. And he's like, oh, I got it the first time. One shot. Okay, maybe second shot, because it gets back up. And while this is happening, Stegner's like, hey, he's, but he's all drunk. He's like, it wants the Enkelodite. So finally, Farrier goes over, and he kicks the toolbox at the albatross beast, and it takes it, and it kind of rattles it in its beak. That's kind of like a little bird behavior, Aww. right? I feel bad for all these animals, though. Like, they can't help but that right, they're being mutated. Yeah. Yeah. It's not their fault. And it flies away with it. Electric guys, giant monsters, weird crystals. <laughs> I love the uh, the emphasis on these these words. It's, it's uh, the delivery is great. I don't know about the rest of you, but I've had about enough of this. Hellboy says. <laughs> Back with Professor Broom, he's been handcuffed, and we see behind him the symbol of the secret intelligence directorate. Behind him, we saw that in another one of those 1950s stories. And here comes Lady Cynthia. So, of course, she was behind it, right? She tells Broom that he's in over his head. And she introduces D, who looks a lot like Reginald Griffith. Do you think that was weird? And then so even Harry, oh. Harry Middleton even said, I, I asked him and he pretended like he didn't know who I was. So oh. now they're calling him D. So what happened to this guy? No. You know what I mean? Like something happened to him and he's something else now. Yeah. Like it makes me think of like Vivara. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. That's so weird. anyway, well, I thought that was interesting. D tells Broom that he's lucky Lady Cynthia was there or he would have been executed. And Broom says he should have known the secret base under the Tower of London would still be in use. He asks why he wasn't contacted about any of this. They could be sharing resources with the BPRD. But D says they aren't just monitoring the supernatural like the BPRD. They're also watching the occult activities of foreign powers, which include the United Bloody States. <laughs> <laughs> they tell Broom he's with the US now he's on the wrong team Broom says he had to go raise Hellboy and Lady Cynthia says that he made a choice when he did that and now he can't be trusted because he's with the Americans which is actually pretty smart reasoning yeah. right yeah <laughs> well well, she and she specifically says he can't be trusted with British intelligence secrets right, so yeah. it's not like he can't be trusted he just can't be trusted with state secrets D says the Prime Minister will not be pressing charges on him but Broom should get back to the US soon it would be a pity if an accident befalls him before then. Lady Cynthia, as she uncuffs Broom, she tells him to keep his eyes on the Soviets because they are keeping eyes on him. And just like at the end of Beyond the Fences, we get this panel of Vivara laughing to herself. <sighs> Creepy. Yeah. You know the professor is her favorite person, right? So yeah. of course she's watching yeah. him, right? 
They also tell Broom that the Americans may not be all that they seem. More is going on under the surface than he realizes, they tell him. Back at the Institute of Psychiatry, Sanhu conducts tests on Zhang and describes all the research that I didn't want to go into earlier because it's going to be here. You know what I mean? When they showed the okay. little statue, yeah. I yeah. was like, this is kind of a reference to Durga because I love how this Sanhu's going to come back and tell us all about it, right? Zhang had her vision in the close proximity of this trishul, a traditional weapon in India. It also has religious and symbolic importance. It was favored. It was the favored weapon of Shiva and the goddess of Durga. But actually, I'd also figured Durga was a part of it before I read this because they had showed that statue in Witchfinder. Anyway, oh yeah, I knew this already. I have to throw that in there. <laughs> awesome. The Trishul can be seen representing many of the sacred trinities, creator, preserver, destroyer, past, present, future. That makes me think of Hellboy, too, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, creator, preserver, destroyer. I kind of like that. Preserver is kind of in the middle there. You know what I mean? Um, I thought that was interesting. You know, we talked about when we did the movie commentary, creator of worlds, destroyer of worlds. You know, that's his full yeah. name. So all that kind of made me think yeah. of this. Personally, I've always seen a close connection between the Trishul and the Third Eye, Sanhu says. The opening of Shiva's Third Eye could bring great destruction, but I think that it also represents a kind of insight. The inner eye, if you will, that is able to see beyond the physical, temporal world. And we got a depiction there of Shiva. I thought that was really cool how they're incorporating this in there. So she tells Zhang that when she gets these visions, she's actually perceiving events happening and uh it directly in her mind and she thinks the trishul might help her get more insight she said it was given to her by her older brother and we get this flashback of san who he's got the burn on his face remember because he got burned by the black flame mm-hmm. so it's her brother it's her older brother i thought maybe it was her father or something like that but yeah so that's the sister of the san who i like how they're both like in these yeah. paranormal fields or whatever i like how her brother is punching nazi's tooth out oh yeah he punched a lot of nazis in voice of the dragon uh it was pretty awesome there was a lot of nazi punching going on in that episode so she says like this you had the vision in close proximity so now let's just put it in your hand and see what happens and so they do we get this incredible image here by trilla and dave stewart so first of all it's like bathed in this green light this like green color which i think is a cool effect um so what do we see here i mean what are we looking at Okay, so, well, it looks like we see, like, that woman from the other panel, because yeah, she's got the long back. hair. Yeah, uh, same woman. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. But they seem surrounded by people with guns, maybe Russians, because of the hats. Right. I, I, I don't know who We have a blues other... brother here? Yeah, maybe so... Maybe Dan Aykroyd? No, well, I don't know if you remember on, um... Or Tommy Lee Jones. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember on BPRD, uh, Hellboy and the BPRD Black Sun, there was a British guy helping them. And he was on all white with a white hat and a white suit. And I thought, I was thinking maybe that's him. Are you sure it's not uh, a blues brother? Or maybe, maybe um, fucking The Visitor or whatever. <laughs> Marshall Mathers or whatever. Oh. Or not Marshall Mathers. Mar- uh, okay, okay, okay. Sorry, his, Michael Mathers. Right, Michael Mathers. But this looks like the fucking Black Goddess or something like that right here. Uh, yeah. Talking about Kali? Or maybe that's what it is. I was thinking the black goddess shape, but oh, it, the black goddess yeah. like uh, the this one in this universe, right? Yeah. yeah, and then we see Hellboy fighting a bunch of like crab clawed things, and then just some weird. What is this thing? What is that? A... <laughs> uh, Who's that guy? 
tentacles with mouths and suckers. Yeah. It's a, it's a Cronenberg monster. There you go. Good job there. That was great. That was a great description there, Danielle. So then Zhang snaps out of it and Sanhu says, you were actually unmoving for five minutes this entire time. And she's like, "What? but whatever you saw, it's okay. You know, it can't harm you. Everything's going to be all right. No, Dr. Sanhu, Susan Zhang says, everything is not going to be all right. There are bad times ahead for all of us. We cut back to Hellboy and his crew, and there they're meeting with the colonel and that little Weasley-looking guy. Remember we saw that guy earlier, too, with the clipboard and the glasses? Mm-hmm. They're reporting their run-in with Moravec to the colonel. They're just like, okay, well, um, we'll be on the search for the guy, and that's all we need from you, and you can go back stateside. And Hellboy's like, that's it? You're just going to follow us a, re- a report and send us on our way? What about the Ankelodite? What is it doing here in the first place? Mr. Everett, the colonel says, and then that little weasel guy comes over. I do not have any idea what you're talking about, Hellboy. Your friend Stegner must have been mistaken. And the giant animals attacking Farrier asks about that. And Stegner's like, this is Utah again, all over. You're using the Ankelodite, you're making those monsters. The E-bombs, are you trying to weaponize the stuff? Archie says. Who are you people? Anyway, and who are you working for? Hellboy says he like smashes his right hand of doom down on the table you wouldn't have heard of the agency i represent hellboy the little weasel guy says we keep a low profile i think we're done here the colonel says have a safe trip home gentlemen and please don't come again yeah so who are these guys i was thinking like well we're gonna get this last scene but when i first saw this guy i was thinking is that like a zinko guy Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Or maybe, like, I don't know. I was just trying to think of who he could be. I don't think that's who it is after this last scene, but... Oh, well, I mean, I I just completely thought, you know, people wore in broom that the government was up to no good. Right, yeah. And so I was just like, 1955 uh, American government, uh, yeah, they're they're paranoid enough to do dumb shit like this. What am I talking about? 2020 American government. Yeah, (laughs) for real. But, uh, yeah. Back at the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut, Chirilla does a good job with the falling water building by Frank Lloyd Wright. And we get this debriefing scene. I kind of like this because, you know, Broom's there, Susan's there, all the other guys are there, and they're all kind of explaining their parts of it. Stegner says there could be more of those things. And Susan says she saw a vision. Remember, Hellboy was fighting a bunch of crab monsters, so she's like, there could be more of them. Broom says there, it sounds like they have considerable challenges ahead. It's almost as if there is a secret Cold War going on that we don't even know about, Susan tells Hellboy. And then Margaret comes in. She needs the professor to sign some paperwork. Broom says that there was initial resistance. He was able to convince his government contacts of an imminent threat, and I believe that we are in the midst of a shadow war, and it's high time that we're better equipped to fight it. So now we see... We cut over to the Center for Defense Research and Development in Colorado. I saw that. I was like, oh, shit, I know what that is. Right, exactly. So what is going on here? Because when they when the BPRD eventually moves into the Colorado base. Yeah, Daimyo found it like, um, like decommissioned or something like that. Right, and then they find all that weird shit in there. They find the ghost of Lobster Johnson. They find all those files about like all this supernatural stuff. They find the fucking monkey in the jar. That one guy that like sees angels and those flesh angels. Yeah. 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 That guy is in there too. Dr. Ice or whatever. He's trapped in there somewhere. Yeah. So they're doing some weird shit there. And we see them. They're building some sort of bomb. They say it's a pity the Soviets got their hands on the Ankelodite. 
but they're years ahead of them. They won't be able to catch up in time. They won't know what hit them. And it looks like they're creating some sort of bomb out of the Enkelodite or something, right? We see that little weasel guy in there, too. Yeah, so that's how that ends. So, yeah. So I, I do like this. I like getting back in with these characters. I do like all the, the 1950s stuff. And I feel like doing this research for this episode was like a lot of just me catching up with where we were in that story. You know what I mean? It's uh, it, it, and you have so many different timelines going on, and sometimes you want to like get to right. other stuff. So like, it just so happens like it's been a year almost since we've been doing this part of the story. So I don't know. Uh, what did you guys think about hopping back in with the 1950s characters? Ah, uh, it was actually a lot of fun to kind of revisit some of this stuff. But this, um, especially the this story, especially this one we just finished reading, felt like it was a lot more set up to like a larger story that's about to happen. So I'm uh, excited to kind of get into the rest of that. But you know, it's like we know what's going to happen to Hellboy because you know we've already seen that. But we don't know what's going to happen to to Woody or uh, Susan or or we we don't know what happened to Archie or Stegner. Or right, that, right, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of neat to get back to these characters. Oh well, you deeper know and deeper into the lore. Yeah, in one of the 1950s stories, I forget which one. Broom hears of Anders. He hears of oh, Anders being yeah. spotted. Remember, there was a little picture of him on his desk or something like that. So yeah, yeah. I, I, and oh, and so I'll say this too. I haven't read like I think this is about where I stop being current with the comments. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Uh, I still pay for them every month, and I still like buy all the issues, but I'm just not caught up on the story. So this is kind of cool for me too. I feel like I'm all set up now to get into like you know now this phase of the podcast and reading some of these 1950 stories, and you know I don't really know what's going to happen, so I'm excited about that. Oh, that's pretty exciting too. It's always fun yeah, like that. That's cool. All right, uh, that was another great book club episode. I'm glad to be back doing some comics. It's been a while since we actually did comic comics, books. right? You know, right? We, it's been almost like two months. You know, so um, really cool to be doing some comics. I love seeing uh, some Dave Stewart colors, some awesome artwork. Let us know your thoughts. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Uh, like John said, tell us what you think of these 1950 stories. You can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Podbean website, our Facebook About section, and our link trees on Instagram and Twitter. And thank you, Snugget Loose, for the music. Thanks, guys. Thank you to Mark for helping John with the reading order, and John for doing the amazing editing, and Danielle for always being wonderful. Oh, also, if you uh, can remember, try to give us a rating on the iTunes. Just open up your app and uh, rate us uh, five stars. Yes. Yes. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast from. It's kind of like Uber. Anything less than five stars, like you're like, oh, four stars. No, we'll be like executed at dawn. Don't. <laughs> it's like literally five stars or you hate us. Yeah. <laughs> She's not wrong. Uh, <laughs> next week, we are reading Hellboy in the BPRD, 1955 burning season and hellboy in the bprd 1956 issues one through three so you know what to do pull out those back issues trades open up the digital get it from the library of the hoopla app and join us next week on the hellboy book Club podcast thanks for listening everybody i'm john salinas i'm danielle and i'm aubrey lovelace saying keep your shirt on i got this <laughs> yeah <laughs>